Hello, and welcome to the Green Team of the Legendarium, the weird little spinoff podcast where patrons of the Legendarium talk about the books and topics the main crew hasn't gotten around to yet. I'm Little Red Book, and today I have with me the giver of gifts, Cheskira. Hello. And I also have with me the sharer of platforms, Lamy Lambs. I have a title. You do. <laughs> Tonight we will be discussing The End of All Things by John Scalzi, the final book in the Old Man's War series. Before we get started, let's rank the books. Well, before we do that, a mild correction. The final book so far. He's not necessarily done with the series. Hey, fine. I like I like thinking of it as the end, though, because it brings up my count for a series finish this year. Okay. So, so we're going with Chesky. Sorry, Lamy. You're you're outruled. <laughs> Let's see. If I had to rank the books, that's tough. I like this one. Oh, I th- I'd say this is a solid middle slash higher than middle of the pack for me. Yeah, this one is, I would say, a, a short step down from book five. So whatever rank I gave that, minus half a point on a five-point scale. So this is my second favorite book. The first one being um, Old Man's War, which is the original. Well, that's high praise. It has like the perfect combination of political machination and action for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only one part of the book that I really don't like. Um, then I would say book two and book Three and four together. Yeah, they have to go together. Yeah, and then book five. That that's how I'd rank them. But they're all very good, and I would give oh. this book a. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say I would give this one. I'd give it four and a half stars for sure. So you'd say the Human Division is your weakest book? I had some, but they're also close together. <laughs> So it's it's a very small, small difference between the books. Yeah, this is, I would say, read the whole series, <laughs> is what I would say. <laughs> but this one is my favorite, or second favorite, I should say. I didn't realize we were doing, like, ranking all the books. So I would go with book three is my top, my number one. Uh, after that would be book one, book five, book two book six, and then finally book four. Chesky? Oh, I'm pretty much the same, I think. I think number one for me is is always going to be Old Man's War, uh, the first book. And then I think after that, oh, I'm trying to think which one I want next. I think I, I liked The Human Division a lot. So I'm going to put that one as my number two. Then I'm going to put The End of All Things, number three. and then. Um, Last Colony, Ghost Brigades, Zoe's Tale. So then Zoe's Tale is the last, and then the last colony up from that, and then and then the other one's there. So that's my arrangement. Can I revise and mute, move Human Division up to three? No, I'm sorry. No. It's, it's all past. Yeah, we're, okay. stuck, we're locked in now. Okay. I, I would like to explain why Zoe's Tale is, is in last. And I think okay. you guys already know it's it's because it's the same book. 
Yeah, it's it's just the same book again. It definitely needs to be. I hate to say it needed to be worked into the third one, but it was. It's really no, it more did. A, it's more of a duology in a series. Like they should be together, though. Like, yeah. It so. Uh, never mind. We're not going to rehash that. We already had a whole conversation about that. <laughs> so never mind. Did you know that this was originally released as a serial? Because I didn't until I was looking into the book. I had no idea. Did not know that. I just picked it up as a paperback and was like, yay, more old man's war. (laughs) (laughs) So it was originally released as four novellas with um, each of the narrators. So who was your... Huh? Sorry. It it definitely feels like four novellas rather than, yeah. you know, one whole book. <laughs> so do you guys have well, I'm trying to decide here. I think we should do the recaps. And then we should move on. So Lammy. Alright. So starting off, I'm gonna give a quick recap of the full series so far. Uh so the first book is Starship Troopers but better. The second book is the first book but with special forces. The third book is How to Colonize a Colony Colonially. The fourth book (laughs) is That Again, Part 2. The fifth book is um, sort of TV series episode um, scripts, effectively. Mm -hmm. How to sell sell your book to a producer. (laughs) <laughs> how to sell your series to a TV studio. Uh, and then the sixth book is four novellas in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Did you write that before I made my comment? No, but I, I, I have been, I, I was thinking about this last night instead of sleeping, which was not the better plan. <laughs> uh, but I should also probably give a quick recap of each of the novellas, huh? I yeah, think so. All right, so the first novella is uh, How I Became a Brain in a Box and Learned to Love the Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, the second book is A Scary Dinosaur Becomes the King. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and then the third book is the days of the week and what we eat on them. (laughs) (laughs) And then the fourth one is, you know, we're, we're checking back in with, with our good friend Wilson and, and his whole crew of people and stuff and things. You remember Wilson from the last book? Yeah. We're with him again. He's not green now. He starts out green. He stops being yeah. green. I've heard it's not easy. <laughs> being green. <laughs> oh, once, you, Lord. <laughs> once you go green, it's tough to go back, yeah. <sighs> so, I mentioned why it's my second favorite. Do you prefer the more... Act- oh, wait, no, first. Could this book work as a standalone, do you think? No, absolutely not. It it relies way too heavily on a lot of stuff from the last book or from book five, and then otherwise like 
you need the world building from the all the previous books in the series. It yeah. just doesn't make any sense on its own. There's there's no way to to read this uh, being this like if this was the first book you'd read and be like, oh yeah, I totally get everything that's happening. Or even if you'd only read the first one, like you still wouldn't be able to skip to this one and pick it up. You kind of have to know who all the players are, why things are the way they are. And there's no way to get that, you know, aside from having the other books as reference. So I'm almost tempted to say that you can. How how do you explain, like, anything that happens without that knowledge? Like, I just, I I feel like. Or why people are green or or, why there's so many other things. Now, part of it is that there are some parts that are just a little boring because I've read it, all the other books. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, I'm not, I'm not advocating for this. This is not, I'm just saying, I'm, I wonder how I would have reacted to the book if I had just picked it up and not read all the other books. And I I feel like you can understand enough to enjoy it. I think you would have uh, been severely challenged by it and disliked it and put it Mm -hmm. down. Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm just, it was a thought experiment I was running and I wanted to bounce it off you guys. Apparently I'm wrong once again online. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, (laughs) So do you prefer the more action oriented parts or the political and maneuvering, manipulating parts of the book? Which were your preferences? Um, In this book, I like the politics stuff. I think, I feel like it was... It was done better than the action bits. Yeah, I think I think the politics of this book work better than the action. Um, I feel like there's it's not like there's less action, but there's the action is not important. There's there's some action scenes for sure, but that's not. It's the politics. I think John the Scalzi did it really good, and it, it works really well. And so it's engaging when otherwise it wouldn't be. That was actually my favorite part of the book, or the fav- my favorite parts of the book as well. And I actually did not particularly like the action parts of this book, not in compared to other action things he's written. And I'm not sure why it doesn't work for me, but it really doesn't. Okay, so the action scenes are a little bit few and far between in this. Yeah, I, if we're... If we're going full spoiler, you, you could say that. Like, yes, we we did a recap. So yes. the uh, the action scenes are just they're mainly in the uh, the second book, right? The, uh, the third, uh, third, the third. Excuse Lieutenant me, Lieutenant Lee. It's yeah, with Lieutenant Lee, and it's usually just her going in and solving something or putting you know solving a rebellion here and stopping here. It, it's it's very repetitive, and they don't really fight they just set something up and do it you know they set up the wind turbines and they do that they go in with threats of violence and that's that right until the last story in which there is a lot of violence but that's i really disliked the third section of this book well not really disliked it was my least favorite by a long shot and by the end of it i was just done I was like, I am so glad we're moving on now. 
Well, so was Lieutenant Lee. Yeah, well. Yeah. I was with her. (laughs) She walked the earth like Kane from Kung Fu. (laughs) (laughs) That was surprising to me that she she did just get up and like leave. I don't know if I quite buy her character arc. That's the one part that I just don't quite buy. So how do you feel about the framing of this? We start with a brain in the box and we end with a brain in the box. Did you like that? This one felt way less like it had a like a coherent framing device than the last book. As as I described it, it's four novellas in a trench coat. It's not necessarily like one single coherent story with four disparate parts that come together, right? I think it comes together pretty well. The only one that doesn't really fit is mm. the third one. No, I, I, I feel like I'm more with uh, Lammy on this one. There are definitely four you know, kind of very separate books. Yes, they fall in line one after the other, but it's not. It doesn't feel like a cohesive book. It feels like four separate books in a row, which is kind of the point. It's four novellas, right? Like, I think that. For the most part, he does a really good job interweaving the stories and he overlaps them just enough to make it work. At least it worked for me really well. I really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, how's this going to fit together? And I think I I thought he did a good job of it, but. Okay. Taste. (laughs) So, so far in this series, we've had a book. And then a book, and then one book split into two, and then two short story collections. What sort of format do you think book seven's going to take? If there is a book seven, I think it will be similar to this book or Human Division, where it's short stories in together. I would say much more like book five as it being basically a pitch to a a studio. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way because really enjoyed human divisions. Um, But yeah, I would say probably much more like book five. What do you think? Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, so far he's, he's done like every two books. There's, there's like a pretty significant shift in, in structure. I just don't know what necessarily a fourth structure would look like. Like, what what fourth book structure is there to go off of? And, you know, that could just be, like, my lack of, of reading depth. Like, maybe I just haven't read enough things to come up with something that has a different structure than than what we've already seen. But, I don't know. I so do you think he's gonna try and go for something different? I'm I'm just looking at patterns here. Yeah, it kind of looks like it's kind of his his thing, right? You know, first book was a novel, second book was a novel, then we had two and one or one and two, and then short story collection, short story collection, something else, right? I mean, maybe. I do. You guys think that he maybe uses this world to play with narrative types like that's one of the things he specifically uses this world for 
If only we could have John Scalzi on to answer these questions for us. <laughs> if only we had thought to ask him these questions when we had that chance. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if it's like the only thing he does. Uh, but I think No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that when he wants I, to play with narrative form, does he use this world? I think it's something he's definitely comfortable changing the form in. But I don't think it would stop him from doing it in his other series. So... I mean, I've I've seen him play with different different stuff in different series, so I don't know that this is necessarily like his sandbox to test things out in. Well, I've only read two other books of his, so well, one of them the... was Lock In, which is no, I've not read that one yet. It's Red Shirts. And... Oh, okay. I own Lock In. I just have never read Lock In. <laughs> That's right. Other people have read Lock In. Other but you people have read it. You should read you Lock In. It, I have. I've also read Head On, the sequel, and it's really good. Or we're going to go back to the brain in the box. And this is an argument I had with Kipton when we were doing Murderbot. We have not yet figured out how to make AI work as quickly as a human brain. Although we're working on it with the quantum physics. The quantum physics. Yeah, those are working too. <laughs> just... just just use quantum the way that Terry Pratchett did as, as a way of saying this is technology magic that no one understands. Right. And so in this world, they specifically have to hijack human or brains in general, not just human brains, to make the IA work. And so I want you guys to come down on this argument. Is Kipton right or is LRB right? <laughs> what Whoa. is Kipton's argument? Yeah, His argument is that he could, in fact, that we could, in fact, create computers that work as quickly as an organic brain. I mean, we already do have computers that work way faster at, at, at different way faster things. than organic brains, but they're only good at the things they're good at. Organic right. brains are only good at the things they're good at. Okay, that's and, fair. In fact, are quite bad generally at the things that computers are good at but also really good at things that computers are not good at. Yeah. So uh, you're saying we're both right. Well, if if you want a computer to fly a spaceship and and shoot missiles at a target and have a very limited range of responses available, yeah, slap a computer in there. A computer can do that. It can't deal with anything that you haven't already programmed in to deal with, but yeah. for for the for the needs of the equilibrium, use a computer. Super easy. Yeah. For the, I was going to say, just for the, it depends on how much space you have for the computer, you know. If you can program enough responses and, and things, they'll do exactly what you tell them, but only exactly what you tell them. Whereas, you know, brains, organic brains at least, I guess, can, uh, they can problem solve and they can say, this isn't working, I need to do this. They don't. They have more options available to them. They may not be the best at it, but there's more options available. So, but as we saw with Rafe Daquin's um, POV, they kind of have the decision making beaten out of them by the time they're actually sent on a mission. Oh, for sure, they have they have most of the, the decision making beaten out of them, but they're still left to their own kind of decision making within their like, how am I going to accomplish this task? But that's you know. To them, it's the task is what's all important. 
and the decision to rebel or deviate from the task has been beaten out of them. But how they want to accomplish the task is somewhat left to them. So, speaking of that, I'm glad that Ocampo's plan is not as stupid as Zoe's dad's plan, but it doesn't seem like a smart plan to me. Which plan? I mean... Well, his plan is to steal the ship and take a pilot off the ship, and he knows nothing, literally nothing about the pilot. It seems like that he should have done some research. Well, that... That's not his plan. That's equilibrium standard operating procedure. Yeah, but he procedure. could have picked any any ship with a pilot yeah. that he had researched. He randomly picks this guy who just happens to be a software engineer. Because they don't care. They just need someone who has piloting yeah, skills. They just need the piloting skills. No, I mean, but what I, I'm saying is that Ocampo, or however you say his name, should have taken that into account. But Ocampo was being blinded by the fact that he thinks he's doing the right, and he has formed a personal connection with Rafe a little bit, enough to be like, I'm going to give him this opportunity to be a brain in the box so he lives longer rather than dies immediately. Because he could draw a name out of a hat and be like, this is the pilot we're going after. But that'd be the most secure way to do it, right? Pick a name, research, is there any way they can foil our plans? No software experience, sure. But like, that's not how people work. They, you know, like. But also, he picks the dude with the most initiative. Why would you pick a pilot with initiative? You wouldn't want him to have initiative. You want because him to have the, initiative. No, you wouldn't. Because Be- then. Sorry. Because it's the only person on the ship that he knows for sure is a pilot, and that's all they care about. Yeah. And they want some initiative because if the pilots they pick suck at being pilots and have no initiative or no skills, then sending them off as a brain in a box still won't accomplish the mission. They have to pick semi-talented people who they can beat into submission. So Mm. a high initiative means it's maybe a little tougher to beat them into submission, but the other parts will be just fine. They'll be able to adapt under pressure and accomplish his mission at the detriment of his ship and body, right? The, The thing they should have been more on the lookout for rather than software engineer or like he's not a random guy is that he got compliant way too fast. But that's kind of their fault for like all their previous experiments, right? Like that's Okay. As far as we know, so far this this putting it capturing a pilot, put a brain in a box, send him on a ship, blow stuff up plan has had a one hundred percent success rate, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. They don't see a security risk because there hasn't been one ever. I don't know. I just have. Well, but you're looking at it from a a very different perspective. You're looking at it from a, like, how can I minimize this risk? They're looking at it as a, how can we do this with the least resources possible so we're not caught? Okay, well, that's fair, I guess. I just had, I was like, here you have, well, first of all, a lot of it is because plot, right? That he's a software engineer and just happened to work on this software. Okay, so I understand that. If I had been picking a pilot, and he has to know that he knows there's two other pilots, at least, I would not have picked the one that came and confronted me about what, what, what's going on, dude? What's happening? Like, but, that just would be a huge red flag to me. 
But, but again, that's that's the one that he knows. It's that little bit of personal connection. I understand. I, I think that that's hand waving. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's <laughs> only one other person on the ship that he knows as a pilot. He has seen people on the bridge, but I bet you Ocampo doesn't actually know like where anyone but the captain sits. So he doesn't know on his own like what job is where, so he can't like pick out, yeah, that guy's a pilot. And then at the time that the Ray were taking over the ship and asking for a pilot, all he really cared about is get a pilot and get out as quick as possible. Mm, I yeah. guess. Okay, I guess. I, this is one of my questions here, or my little things is, I mean, how are the Ray and this equilibrium, how did they get so advanced to be able to take the brain out of the box, out of the body and put it into the computer? Or is that something that like anybody could be doing? Um, that is CDF technology originally, but we know how technology spreads itself. Um, we also know that the Ray had a scientific installation back in book two that was working on brain pals and human brains and brain stuff. So like they have the background for this. Yeah, I guess I just I guess I just wasn't expecting it to be the Ray and humans some humans working together, right? And the equilibrium group. I was expecting something different. I don't know what. Especially considering the Ray's diet. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, waste no part of the buffalo. Like I bet they <laughs> eat that guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And now I just have images of aliens cracking human bones and sucking the mar- marrow out. <laughs> oh, man. Can you, can you imagine the bone broth from a human skull after you've taken the brain out? Oh, so tasty. So, so weird. <laughs> I was going to say, right, again, with uh, with Rafe, like, the chances of him or anyone else finding that one software glitch is, like, super high. So, like... I, like I said, there's a lot of but plot, you know, I, and I get that. And yeah. I just, it's, I'm just nitpicking to be honest. <laughs> well, you, you pick at those nits. <gasps> Who is your favorite narrator? Mm, I, I really like reading and listening to Wilson's story. I think he's one of my favorites and maybe uh Sorval is the other one. I I also got to go Wilson. He's he's like an old friend at this point. I know I I like how he narrates. I like his his take on stuff going on. Wilson's good stuff. I would say mm-hmm. Soraval is probably my favorite. And this is our second time with her. So I like how she has to deal with like an impossible situation where her boss kills himself. And she's forced to become the face of the Conclave. And I like how she deals with that. Allegedly kills himself. I think he did. I think it's pretty clear. That was the equilibrium. No, the humans did it. I I think it's pretty clear, Red, but I but I think in the in the 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 story, like we're we're meant to understand and Sorpal understands, you know, it was General Gao. But I think in world, it's it was an attack by somebody. No, it was meant to look like that. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm but saying. But she knows. Yeah. Or At she surmises. That letter 
that's pretty, pretty clear. Straightforward, but there's always room for doubt. That's why it's doubt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how do you think this story handles real politique? And if you don't know what that is, it just means practical dealing with people that you don't necessarily like or agree with, but you have to deal with them. Um, I feel like a better version of this already happened in book five when Hafty goes down and visits the the Nazi humans on their planet. <laughs> I forgot about them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nazi humans. That was funny. It was not fun. Okay, never mind. That's not. No, it was a yeah. very fun sequence. Like, it was great. Yeah. No, I, I think it handles it fine, but I think I agree with Lamy. That was a much, it was a really good example in the human division. And it was just another thing here. So. Hmm. I, I think my favorite, I'm going to disagree a little bit. My favorite part of that type of storytelling is when Ombomboy yeah. and Sorval with the OB and Wilson is there too and so is I can't remember the Earth Ambassador's name Danielle Lowen yes. so when they hammer out the deal between the Conclave and Earth and the Colonial um union and the way that's handled and then they're like don't don't tell your people don't try and sell your people on this just tell them it's already sold i that i mean i i just love that whole scene and <laughs> basically it's an argument for smoke filled rooms <laughs> between diplomats and i just no i really I, like that scene too cuz it's like let's quit let's quit you know going back and forth and being like, oh, it's this, and I can't really trust you. I was just saying, like, this is it. This is what we're agreeing to. Like, just putting it down, you know, hard and saying, this is it. Either we all agree or we all don't agree, you know? And I like that, but I don't know. Um, it was just dealing with people. It was, I don't know. It was good. I like that scene a lot. I don't know. It, it felt to me like as soon as they left the room, it could have immediately fall apart, fallen apart by either of the three governments deciding, no, you didn't actually have the authority to do this. But it would have held together long enough to accomplish the goal of the mission. It was like, they were, like, what, a week out? It would have held together long enough. Maybe I think ever I think at least the uh, I think out of the ones who wouldn't follow it, the colonial union would be the one that didn't want to follow it the most, and kinda... they're the ones with the most to gain by agreeing to it. Yes, they lose a little power in the long run, but they actually survive and they get you know friendly again with Earth and the Conclave. So, so you think they are the most likely to not follow it yeah. and also gain the most from following it? Well, I think they're the ones who'd be like, no, we don't want to agree to this, but they're the ones who gain the most, so they kind of have to agree with it. They can't be like, no, we won't follow this rule, because then they get destroyed by equilibrium, right? And Earth gets destroyed. And the Conclave would also still want to destroy them. Well, so. they're already destroyed, basically, but the Conclave gets you know, weakened, but it doesn't matter because the CDF Colonial Union's already 
you know, could hurt too badly. So I'm saying they have the most to gain by sticking with it, but they're the ones who would be least, who would least want to stick to it, even though they gain the most, if that makes sense. Like, I think I agree with you, but also, hmm, I'm not sure how to put it. No, okay. This are you are you trying to explain that like Danielle Lowen doesn't have the authority to speak for Earth in any capacity whatsoever? Yes, I, that there's that too. But that is a question I have later. Um <laughs> I mean, we can pull it out now. It's like what do you think about the fact that the Earth doesn't have a unified government and at the same time the colonial union is federal federal Federalizing? Federalizing? Anyways, it's becoming much more of a federation as opposed to a union. I mean, because that's part of what's going on and all the political... This is why I really like this book, guys. Some serious I... issues <laughs> with some things that happen in this book. But this is what I like. This philosophical thing that's happening. I, I like... I think it's just the natural progression of the colonial union. Like, they, they were a union... They were the head, they were in charge, but after a certain point, like they're going to get too big, even with interstellar travel, especially with these things that have been going on, right? They're going to have to turn into more of that federation eventually. But and Earth it, is still... Yeah, Earth should probably have figured itself out and gotten itself a unified government, but and, I mean, and people it, are people and they can't agree that well. Except say. that Earth was being prevented from doing that by the colonial union for hundreds of years, and it's only had a couple of years without the CU screwing Absolutely. with them, basically. I mean, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think that's probably true. Because uh, the CU was motivated to make sure that Earth wouldn't unite. Because if it did, it would cause problems for the CU. I just found it that particular part interesting because in most future sci-fi world stuff, Earth has a unified government. I doesn't. Yeah, it's true. I, but I think I think a unified government is much more difficult to actually set up and get working, at least for us humans, because you go from one end of the United States to the other. And you've got people speaking the same language, but completely different accents. And that, I mean, that's just the start. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. And then, and then you have different deviations and different cultures and things mixing. And so having one person be in charge of the whole planet. Well, I mean, obviously, it's not one person, right? But it is. Right, right. Is so difficult. I'm surprised that the planets, you know, of this, that the CDU is colonized, the CU is colonized, are all single government basically right they're basically unified they have their governor and then they have the cdf above them right but it's just so crazy that they can all stay in sync basically and maybe that's because of the instant communication can help negate that a little bit but it's just uh like in real life it's a crazy thing how fast language and culture changes and spreads and then to do that on a planet-wide scale is just crazy though Lammy, thoughts? No, I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you about the planets as well. 
and how come they're so unified? And one of the things I really like about that scene that we were just discussing was Sorval says, I just don't even want to think about you humans because we're just a cantankerous species that can't even get along with each other, much less other species. And I, anyway, that, okay, we're moving on. <laughs> Unless you have something else to say, Chesky. <laughs> no, I, I, they're, it's the same. If we wanted to talk about uh, planets, I can say something about planets for a second. Okay. Uh, or like, not the planets, but specifically uh, Franklin in the third book, the planet Franklin, where the, the Lieutenant Lee comes down and she's like, did you guys, like, you guys all were willing to declare your independence. Like, now that we're here, are you still willing to declare your independence? Like, do you really believe that what you're doing is the right way to do things? Because now the consequences are immediate instead of delayed. And it's your lives instead of other people's lives that are going to be on the line, right? Right. I like that scene a lot. I just thought that was, that was great that, you know, they were saying, like, if you have the gumption or the desire to, like, do something, like, you should be willing to do it, whether the consequences are now or in the future. Right. Theoretical. They knew, that, they knew like, that the consequences was going to be war and like death. Right. But now that the consequences are in front of them, instead of impersonal. Yeah. Then it's like, Oh, well maybe, maybe we were wrong and, and we shouldn't defect, even though we would, if you weren't here, you know, I'm kind of surprised there wasn't at least like one or two. That, that still went ahead with it. That, yeah. st- that didn't go ahead with it, you mean? Or no, I guess they all did. Yeah, yes, all I agree. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all backed down. That's true. Yeah, that was... I would think at least a couple would. I mean, I don't know. So do you think that the colonial union is becoming less of the baddies? Do you think they're actually really genuinely trying to reform? As an organization, no, absolutely not. Um, as a few key members that actually have ways to to like functionally shift the way the CU functions, and by that I mean um, able Dear policy. What's his face? Abel Rigney and. Who's the person he's always with? I Egan? can't names today. What's that? Was it Egan? Liz Egan. There we go. Yeah, those two definitely are. Uh, but the CU as a whole? No, absolutely not. Like nobody in the general's mess on Phoenix is is worried about like, are we the baddies? No. <laughs> well, I think Ambassador Ambamwe and Wilson are also trying to shift well, the CU to being Amba- less of Ambassador the Ambassador isn't part of the CU. She's she's State Department. No, she's not part of CDF, right? She is part of the CU. Yes. Yeah. And then Wilson is a lieutenant. He's a, he's a very conveniently placed lieutenant, but he's still a lieutenant. He can't No, he but can't he is assisting policy. her. He's assisting her on dealing with these issues. Yeah, I but I, I have to just agree with Lammy. Like the generals, the high ups, the ones who are in it for just to be in it, they're never they're not changing very well or very fast, if ever. But eventually, they'll be with the you know treaty and everything. The, the CDF is, has to shift; it's shift or die. But it'll be a slow shifting. 
So I'm not disagreeing with you, either of you. I think that that's the case, that that they're going to have to shift and that they will eventually. But like all bureaucracy, it's a slow shift. It's a... They can only yeah. be nudged. I would have liked to check in with General Zylard throughout yeah. all this. I wish we'd seen more of him in the last two books because the special forces weren't really in it at all. And is that just because they've defected or are they just not part of our story? But I loved seeing them and I wish we'd seen more. Yeah, because I think that he would be somebody who would in fact be a general that would be a voice for the shifting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that like, we haven't checked in with special forces because we're seeing like the CU try to try to turn itself around and stop being so duplicitous and evil and backstabby constantly. Uh, the special forces are still doing all of those things on orders. Right. Th- that oh, we know yeah. of. Yeah. I mean, we're not checking in with them because they're doing all of those things and it would undermine like the, the progress we're seeing in these books. So maybe that should be the next book. John, we want a book about the special forces again. <laughs> it would be interesting, though. Anyway, I kind of felt like the this whole book was very much like, is it, as opposed to World War II, where there was a, a very clear bad guy, this whole book felt like World War I and trying to end World War I. I don't know how you guys feel about that because it's like the conclave isn't that great either. And equilibrium is, I mean, you can kind of get where they're coming from a little bit, right? I don't know. Thoughts? I mean, <laughs> the conclave is, the conclave is not, it's, I mean, it's not great for humanity, but it, it's not the worst organization out there, right? They're not. But it's full of a bunch of, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, it's full of a bunch of people who don't like humans, but, you know, again, they don't like us because we won't join and because we fight them all the time, right? Like, Well, they used to all fight each other all the time, too. Yeah. Why the conflict happened. Not in the same way that the CU functions. Like, the CU fights everyone all the time in the dirtiest way possible every single time. Yeah. Humanity is is in it to win it, no matter like no matter what. They don't care about a flashy victory or an honorable victory. They just want to win. But the equilibrium, obviously, that's not just humans. Well, but so why are they whole... trying to? Because they want to. They want to blow up the conclave. Because they think I don't know why the equilibrium's goals for destroying the conclave. I don't think are ever really like. Here's the exact reason we hate the conclave. But I think they just want a return to everybody out for themselves because the founding members think they'd be the best, right? Or they feel like that's the, yeah. Because their ability to attain more power has been curtailed by the Conclave, and the CU was upsetting the balance all by itself because it had access to Earth. So with the CU and the Conclave gone the non-human member races of Equilibrium have more access to, like, ability to acquire more power. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I agree with all that. 
Um, and they clearly thought that the conclave that things would just work better for a certain species, like the array and the humans, who frankly were part of that too, thought that every man for himself, every species for himself would work out best for their species. And oh. they could go stomp the little people. Up to that point, it was working better for the for the humans. but And the array. Before and the array, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Did we ever find out any more about the little people that get stomped in the f- first we book? We do not. Oh, it's a shame. They're there so John Perry can have an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I want more little people. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get it someday. So what do you think the phrase, the end of all things, it's used several times. What do you think it means? Um, from the perspective of the of the CU and the Conclave, it's um, equilibrium's end goal. And from mm-hmm. Earth. Extra special from Earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I agree with Lamy. I, I think it kind of just means it's it's the end of the CDF as we know it, or it's the end of uh, our stories for here, right? This is the end of all things. I don't know if we'll get more. We might. But I think that's what he's saying. Is like this is the end of the stories. Oh, Lammy, are you sad? If that's true, I mean, John Scalzi isn't stopping writing more books. He might be done with this series. I don't think he is, but he might be. But it's fine. He's got other books. We just got Kaiju Preservation Society, and that was delightful. It was super delightful. One of the things that crossed my mind is we do have forces in society that want to blow everything up and somehow um, they think that things will will be better if we just blow it all up. Mm. And I think that uh, this book is a conversation between that ideology and the ideology of reform. Like, no, no, blowing things up will be very, very bad. And we need to work within the current systems that we have and fix them. That was my thought. I'm sure that I'm sure I'm wrong. In the specific circumstances in these books, blowing things up is very bad because aliens will come down and eat you. Well, uh, but if you blow everything up in a society... uh, Theoretically, aliens will come and eat you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Metaphorical aliens. Yes, metaphorical aliens will come eat you. So let's get together and figure out how to work this out, guys. <laughs> let's not blow everything up. I think usually from the perspective of those people, it's that they've tried to change it within the system, and it's either too difficult or too slow. And so they say... This is not working. I need to go. I need to stop this from the outside. I can't do it from the inside. It has to be externally changed. Okay. Is there anything else anybody else wants to say about anything? Uh, It's a great series. It was a lot of fun. Go read it. 
yeah, super good series. Um, make this your entry point into John Scalzi. Maybe there's a bunch of other good entry points. But dude has not written a book that I haven't loved yet. So I agree that this is a good entry point, especially if you like hard military sci-fi. But I would say Star Trek fans should start with red shirts. That was a good one, yeah. That's good. I've so I've I've become known in a couple of discords now as the Scalzi guy. Um, <laughs> so I've I've had to like run through the like if you like this, then have this be your starting book. If you like this, have this be your starting book. And yeah, if if you like Trek, red shirts. If you like murder mystery detective novels, lock in. If you like, you know. Starship Troopers or military sci-fi in general, Old Man's War. Um, if you liked the Goblin Emperor and like political sci-fi stuff, then go with the Collapsing Empire. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you like Godzilla movies, read Kaiju Preservation Society. <laughs> Just go read Kaiju Preservation Society. That's all. Yeah, because we yeah. will be doing that next. Heck yeah, we will. (laughs) And now it's time for Shameless Plugs. Lammy. Uh, Well, you can find Chesky on his podcast, (laughs) Libromancy, uh, where episodes are usually about 15 minutes long. He talks about a different book, tells you what he likes about it, what he doesn't like about it. It's a good time. Uh, I would like to say you can find Lammy as Mike over on the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast, where he tortures his co-host Dave by making him read Brandon Sanderson about five chapters at a time. We do about 50 pages a week. And you can find Red over on her podcast called Wordless, where they tackle small stories, or big stories and small books, with uh, their good friend, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. You can find us on Twitter at Green Team Pod. Please consider supporting the Legendarium via Patreon. And a link can be found to our Discord on, on thelegendarium.com. The music is Galactic Damages by Jingle Punks. Thanks, Craig, for loaning us a little corner of your media empire. And a shout out to Horizon Brave for starting it all. For Chesky and Lammy, I'm Little Red Book. Good night, y'all. Bye. Bye. Quite bold of you to just assume, right? I mean, you're too nice to say no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next Saturday we're doing kaiju. Everybody get ready. No, no, we're not doing it next Saturday.